Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in lacrosse. And despite some of the things that have happened to this team throughout the season, they are the 2012 NFC North Division champions and have won the division for the second consecutive year. So obviously that's going to be the big story today. They beat the Chicago Bears for the sixth straight time, 21-13 down at Soldier Field. And that game gave us a lot to talk about. And now we get to look forward as well as this team is guaranteed one game at Lambeau Field and a little bit of a playoff opportunity here. So uh, we're going to bring in Matt. So, Matt, a couple of months ago, it didn't really seem like this was possible for this team after some of the things they went through. Uh, but now, I guess, what are your reactions, both as a fan and as a critical watcher, about the Green Bay Packers and their 2012 division championship? Well, first off, great song selection for the beginning of the show, by the way. <laughs> I thought you were going to save that for the Super Bowl. I was like, holy cow, what happened here? Well, you, you, we never know when we're going to get there again, so I really wanted to use that one now. That's true. <laughs> okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just I remember talking a few weeks ago and it seemed like not only were we not going to get close to getting a bye at all in the first round uh, we weren't going to get close to the Bears probably because we didn't think that they would fall apart and that's exactly what they've done uh, I mean obviously we're, we're winning games and helping ourselves but they've just completely fallen apart and it's kind of bizarre because uh, the defense is kind of let down just a little bit and that offense has been bad all year that offensive line is terrible and I think that you know, kind of their collapse obviously has a lot to do with it because we wouldn't catch them if they would have kept winning mm-hmm. games. So mm-hmm. uh, it a huge win yesterday. It's so nice to have that locked up, and and now we can kind of focus on maybe getting that first round by away from San Francisco or something like that. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a huge victory for the team. Obviously, having a home game is great. So we kind of have to see how it unfolds now. At right now, if nothing changes, obviously we'll be the three seed, which is uh, gonna feel pretty decent with that. You don't want to have to go into San Francisco at all. But mm-hmm. but I. Yeah, I, I like that. It's awesome that they won the division, and I, I think it's a big, big victory for the Packers now, and hopefully they can stay focused in these next couple of weeks and uh, maybe even get a bye. Yeah, and I think it was nice. I know the Bears, like you said, have collapsed big time in the second half of the season, but it was good to see them beat a good team for once. I mean, in this streak here of their you know seven wins in, in eight, games they haven't beaten a lot of really good teams and they beat the Bears almost the exact same way that they beat Jacksonville and that they beat uh, Arizona and I don't know what your thoughts are on this but it feels like right now this team has absolutely no identity of any kind sometimes their offense explodes like it did in Houston sometimes their defense is phenomenal Uh, sometimes their offense struggles sometimes their defense isn't very good at all and there doesn't seem to be anything that carries over on a consistent basis for week after week after week other than that this team just keeps winning and I mean I guess that's a good problem to have but even now that they're the division champions and maybe we'll go into some of the more details obviously about uh the components of yesterday's game in this team, but I really don't feel any more differently about this team than I did even in October. Now that they've gone ten and four, they're still just a team that knows how to win. They have a lot of experience, but I'm not really quite sure what's in store for this team when the playoffs come around. Yeah, and I kind of agree with you there, but I think one thing that, like you said, the score was kind of the same as all those other games we've had against bad teams in the past, but I know Chicago's not playing well, but it's still a more impressive victory, obviously, than mm-hmm. Jacksonville or Arizona or even mm-hmm. Detroit, obviously. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that it looked a little better yesterday. I, I know that they didn't put up a ton of points, but I thought when Rodgers was allowed to throw, he was pinpoint accurate and he was on the money a lot and mm-hmm. made some really, really impressive throws. And that you know that's something we wanted to see. So although it was in kind of low volume, we at least did see it. 
Mm-hmm. The, you know, the run game was still moving a little bit, and the defense was great. I know that the Bears have a pretty terrible offensive line, but mm-hmm. they still have Matt Forte, Jay Cutler, and Brandon Marshall out there. I, I mean, that's three guys you have to worry about that are you know good to elite in Brandon Marshall's case. So I, I, I actually did kind of change my tune a little bit yesterday after watching that game. I it wasn't a blowout or anything, but... I, I thought it was a really impressive win, and it, it honestly does have me feeling a little bit better and kind of maybe making me feel a little bit more that they can just turn it on when they want because I feel like I just saw a little bit more of that yesterday. Yeah, and you bring up some good points. I mean, they had the two Mason Crosby missed field goals, which left some points on the field. Uh, they had that ridiculous punt fake, which obviously right. made the, the point spread a little closer. I think the one thing I noticed out of yesterday and maybe the last two or three weeks is they seem to have adjusted their offense a little bit to what teams have been doing to them. Absolutely. That, that cover two really shut them down. Kind of the I hate to use that blueprint because I find that to be a little bit too simple, but the Kansas City Chiefs really kind of and the Giants, of course, showed uh, a way to defense this team if you have the personnel to do it. Well, everybody kind of has has mimicked that, and even if they don't have the personnel to stop it, they've certainly succeeded in slowing down McCarthy's typical offense. But the offense we've seen the last three weeks or so, to me, almost looks a lot more like the old West Coast offense with the short slants and the short routes and a lot of running, you know, to kind of open up your passing lanes a little bit. It almost, to me, looks identical to your 92 through 94 Mike Holmgren offense. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's absolutely what they've had to do, and I think they've finally adjusted because obviously sending four guys on fly routes wasn't working when you can't block your quarterback. Mm-hmm. I know Rodgers is still taking a little bit of punishment, but it's definitely gotten better than Seattle in some of those games mm-hmm. uh, from earlier in the season. So I, I really like the adjustments they've been making and uh, keeping him on his feet a little bit more often. Obviously the run game has benefited a lot from what they've been doing as well. So I feel like if we keep working the short game stuff at – Eventually, you know, down the road we'll start some long balls again because that's really been uh, non-existent in our offense this year as opposed to, you know, last year. That was all that we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's the idea, or obviously that is the idea to, to some extent. Uh, just the numbers real quick. Aaron Rodgers, 23 of 36 for 291 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. His longest pass of the day was only 31 yards, which is kind of uh, different for the Green Bay offense, but still 31 is a solid gain. Randall Cobb, once again, six receptions, 115 yards. Uh, Jermichael Finley, five catches, 61 yards. James Jones, five catches, 60 yards, and three touchdowns. Greg Jennings, four catches, 50 yards. So um, a lot of production from a lot of different guys. Is there one of those guys that maybe stuck out in particular to you? Well, I, I'm a broken record here, but obviously Cobb was incredible again. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think you got to keep noticing it every time he does it. It's, it's just insane what he's doing out there. Uh, for only a second-round pick in his second year, it seems like he has every tool you could ask for other than maybe size. But he's got the speed, and usually these quick little guys you won't see maybe going up and getting jump balls and making miraculous catches. But that's exactly what he does. Uh, some of these catches, and even the one that he could quite haul in that was a little overthrown Mm -hmm. at this point you kind of expect him to make that catch because he's done it all year and he'll take a shot and bring it in no question about it and it seems like he's already got the best hands on the team and he's only been around for you know just a little under two years and Mm -hmm. uh what he's doing obviously it was nice to see uh, jennings get a little bit more involved and he had a pretty decent game at least four catches only but you know he made some nice plays so Mm -hmm. but i would definitely say that cobb again stood out despite the three touchdowns from jones i think that cobb probably had the best day out of all of them yeah, and he's closing in. He's got an opportunity on having a 1,000-yard season at this point, which is very interesting for a guy who really wasn't... 
I mean, you, you expected him to do some nice things and be a good option for you, but I don't think anybody really expected him to emerge as the number one target for this offense. No. Uh, certainly not this season. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Greg Jennings. I think that he looked like he's back the way he played yesterday as opposed to the week before. He he was cutting real strong. He was making catches in traffic. He looked like Greg Jennings, and that's a definitely a, a good sign going forward. And Jermichael Finley, I thought, played great. And he's had a couple of good weeks in a row here. Uh, he had a fourth down catch and uh, broke some tackles, broke away. So I would say even the past month or so, I would say Finley has definitely kind of backed up some of the smack talk that he's been having. Yeah, I think maybe he's gotten finally gotten a little dose to the hump pie. I mean, we've been saying it for a couple of years now that he's probably not quite what he thinks he is, and mm-hmm. it, it kind of seems lately, I know he was talking a little bit this week, but it seems like he's maybe toned it down a little bit. He hasn't had any drops, which is his big downfall usually, and I mean, not flashy numbers, five for 61 yards, but he's getting the job done, and he's doing what we need him to do. We don't need him to be 2009 Finley anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need him to at least be a viable option to draw some defense away, and and I thought he did that yesterday, and like you said, he's done it the past couple of weeks as well. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, real quick, Randall Cobb, 77 receptions for uh, 892 yards receiving wow. on the season. Uh, he's also got over 130 yards rushing, and so he's over 1,000 yards from scrimmage already. So uh, definitely attainable with uh, his streak of 100-yard games that he's got going here. So that would be interesting to see him do that. So, um, But also I think Aaron Rodgers deserves a little bit of credit. The Bears always are really tough for him, but it seems like he played much better this game than he did in that first one. And I know Erlacher being gone is a huge factor in that. He was very patient, and I know sometimes I get on him for that, but uh, against teams like the Bears, it's always good. You know, like we had yesterday, you're going to get those fluky plays that happen when you're playing against the Bears, and uh, the last few times that we've played them, he's really done uh, his best job to minimize those from happening. Yeah, he, he had a perfect game for, I think, how the game went yesterday. I mean, really, 23 of 36, not great completion percentage, but it's about two-thirds, and 291 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, I guess you can't ask for much more than that with how the game was, the flow of the game was going. Pretty solid, and like I said before, I think that's probably the best game we've seen him have since probably the Houston game. So mm-hmm. I thought he just looked really accurate, and although there was 13 incompletions, I thought that he was doing what he wanted to do basically when he had just a little bit of time, and I think the offense playing a little better, maybe Erlacher being out had something to do with that too, but mm-hmm. I, I thought just overall he had had one of his best games in a while. Yeah, I would agree, and uh, I think he was helped somewhat by the offensive line. He had some time to stand in there and wait for mm-hmm. things to happen, and sometimes, like I was thinking yesterday and as I've said on the podcast, that sometimes those concern me when he's able to do that because there's going to be a game when he's not going to be able to do that. It's going to stay in the pocket right. anyways, but uh, for the purposes of yesterday, it obviously was a good thing to see. Only got sacked three times. He did get a couple of shots, the roughing the passer penalty that may or may not have been a penalty on Julius Peppers. Notwithstanding, he was only brought to the ground three times, so uh, against a team like the Chicago Bears, and like you mentioned, games like Seattle earlier in the season, uh, San Francisco, where he kind of had a lot of pressure on him as well. A really good sign to see that, especially these guys, kind of a makeshift line that we've had all year is able to, to take on a pretty good pass rushing team and, and uh, neutralize them a bit. Yeah, it really seems like inserting Barclay into the lineup has helped a lot. Being in his first year with the team and everything, I think they're probably a little hesitant to put him in there, but it seems like he's really kind of solidified things. Maybe he's not a flashy, you know, like big huge offensive tackle that's going to completely shut down a, an elite pass rusher, but he's in there and he's he's played solid and played good enough to at least kind of put some of the other guys back in their normal positions and 
Uh, I've heard some things about maybe Dietrich Smith starting at center here in the near future. Maybe we'll see that too, but mm-hmm. it seems like him getting in there has really kind of helped slow the defense down a little bit, and we don't have to worry about Lang being out there at right tackle anymore. And I think the rushing game has picked up quite a bit since he's been there. And yeah. I, the final numbers weren't great, uh, 32 carries for 113 yards, so that's in the three range. But still, I mean, you, you got some bigger runs than you're used to seeing. Uh, Dewan Harris had a 21-yarder. Ryan Grant had a 14-yarder, although I believe that's the one he fumbled That on. was the fumble, yeah. But still, I mean, we haven't seen those much the last two years. And to have them do it three weeks in a row against three different opponents is, is definitely a sign that maybe this team is improving in that area. And if anything, that's going to further contribute to teams having to come up and allow for some of those big plays to get up over the top. Now let's switch over to the defense and talk about the big story on that side of the ball yesterday, which was the return of Clay Matthews, and he uh, signified his return with a very, very impressive play. Uh, had two sacks. Uh, Mike Neal also had a sack and a half. Uh, I don't remember who had the other half sack. I believe might, maybe Jarrell Worthy. Jarrell Worthy, yep. And just disruptive, completely uh, disrupt their running game almost single-handedly in that first half, Clay Matthews, uh, just all over the place. And it really illustrates, if you uh, didn't know it already, just how different that defense is when he's playing. Yeah, it was incredible, too. I mean, everybody always talks about the pass rush, and he got two sacks, so he did his job there. He had four tackles for loss total. Wow. And I remember right after announcer had initially said, you know, Clay Matthews is a great pass rusher, but watch him in the run defense. In the very next play, he went up and stuffed one of the, the backs in the backfield. I think he got Forte for like a one-yard loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was just incredible. And i got to imagine he had a lot of pent-up frustrations not being able to play, even though he felt that he was ready to go. And maybe that helped a lot, really got him going. But you're right, this defense is completely different. And, and it's obvious, too. I mean, if you have one of the best pass rushers in the league and he's really your only pass rusher, mm-hmm. uh, to lose him is a, is a huge blow. So... Hopefully they can keep him healthy because, you know, as you can see, they shut a, a pretty decent Chicago offense down yesterday for the most part, mm-hmm. and it had a lot to do with him. So I don't like also, you mentioned Mike Neal. Give him a quick shout-out, too. He had a really <laughs> nice game. It was probably his best one as a Packer uh, with a second half and made some nice plays. So I, I thought he had a big game, too. Yeah, I would agree. And even some other guys on the line, I thought B.J. Raji had some really nice plays. Yeah, and sure. And uh, the secondary was very good. Uh, Morgan Burnett... Is, is he going to be Nick Collins' version, too, in that he looks like he's completely inept like the first two years that he's here, and then all of a sudden overnight becomes one of the best players on the team? It sure seems like it. I mean, we went from ripping on him three weeks ago to him playing two really, really good games in a row here. Mm-hmm. And I was voting for the Pro Bowl last night for the first time, and I saw his stats, and I was blown away. I mean, this guy's got over 100 tackles on the season. Oh, wow, I had no idea. He's tied with A.J. Hawk, I believe, right now for the team lead. And, you know, he's got a, a few picks and, and some other stats on there, too. His stats are incredible. Here, let, real quick, and, I just looked him up. He's got two sacks, two interceptions, five passes defense, two forced fumbles, a fumble recovery. He's got 76 solo tackles and another 32 assisted tackles. <laughs> I, I had no idea he had been that productive this year. Yeah, and I hadn't either. And, you know, I test for the first, you know, 13 weeks of the year. We thought he wasn't playing that well, but... You know, the numbers obviously can lie a little bit sometimes, but I think that he's really coming into his own here, and hopefully this is uh, more of a sign of things to come, like you said, like Nick Collins, and maybe 
just maybe he can become a pro bowler, you know, maybe as soon as next year and really mm-hmm. become a playmaker back. This Woodson slows down a little bit. We could really use somebody to step up and start making some big plays for us. And he looks like the last couple of weeks, like he might be that guy. Yeah, and you make a good point about them obviously needing some help once Charles Woodson starts, you know, considering retiring. And not only Casey Hayward, who had another interception yesterday, he's got six on the season. He's been great all year, but Sam Shields looks like he's back. Uh, yeah. the, the guy who we saw in 2010 who was a really, really good player that vanished last year uh, after this injury he had earlier in the season, he seems to be back. And I know he had some help from Alshon Jeffries in defending him, but uh, I, I thought he played really well. Even even if he's maybe sort of held on that final fourth down, he's been very good the last few weeks. Right, and I think maybe that second one was a little ticky-tacky, but those pass interference calls on Jeffrey were all penalties. Yeah. I, I know the fans were booing like crazy, but they were legitimate penalties. I mean, that last one especially, he extended his arms, pushed him way off, and I think that probably had something to do with the fact that Shields was shutting him down, mm-hmm. and he had three passes defensed as well on the day, had a really nice day against the bigger guy, and it's so nice to see him come back in as a, as a really nice compliment to Tremont and... You know, I thought I thought he had one of his best games too that we can remember in recent history. I know he's been a little banged up, but and even on that last potential holding call, they didn't call. Yeah, he did have the jersey, but it really didn't affect the play much. You know, Jeffrey still had a chance to go up. It was an underthrown ball, anyway, yep. and I feel like he probably would have knocked it down regardless. So mm-hmm. probably something he shouldn't have done, but it called, and I don't feel like it made a big difference in the play, anyways. No, I don't think so either. And I think that he had him by the shirt, and I think that happens a lot. But once Alshon Jeffrey jumped. He, he was completely unimpeded to jump. So, right. I mean, you're allowed to do some of those things. It's, I, I believe that was Jarrett Bush who got called on a special teams hold, mm-hmm. and I kind of felt the same thing with that. People hold all the time, but as soon as the guy tries to disengage from you, you have to let go. Let and go, if, yeah. if you do that, you'll never get called. And that, I felt that was kind of the defensive pass interference equivalent of that <laughs> on that play, if that makes sense. Right. And while we're on calls, and I don't mean to sound like a biased Packer fan. I'm usually actually really impartial about these calls, especially if we're in the stadium and the fans start booing. It's like, you guys are idiots. Like, that was obviously, you know, a penalty or not a penalty. But I felt that the Peppers one was, too. I know Aikman was going crazy about that one. Yeah. And it's, he was like, he led with his shoulder and, and you know, he left his feet and launched his helmet into the back of Rogers' uh, helmet. Yeah, that's true. I didn't feel at all like it was a question. I, and he kept saying he, he led with his shoulder. Yeah, his shoulder maybe hit Rogers' shoulder, but his helmet hit his helmet and he left the ground. And mm-hmm. that's going to get called every time. And I was really surprised why Aikman didn't seem to see that. Mm-hmm. I, I know in fast motion it, did, it almost looked worse in slow motion because you could see him launch into the back of Rogers' helmet. But I thought that was a legitimate call too. And I really don't feel that the Bears have too much uh, – you know, obviously they're going to complain, but I, I feel like the, the calls were warranted, and I really that they can't say that that changed the game at all. I've, I feel like they were pretty good calls. Yeah, and I, I think you make a good point. I had forgot that he kind of launched himself, and uh, I, I had remarked to the people we were watching the game with that I was surprised that Troy responded in that manner because if it wasn't for hits like that, he probably would have played till 2003. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I don't know, maybe that's, <laughs> I don't know if it's really relevant here, but, uh, just real quick, I was watching some of the early bowl games this past Saturday, and they were talking about the Aaron Murray hit in the SEC championship game, and David Pollock was talking about how you can't put skirts on these guys, and I can't believe that they're, they even considered suspending him, and, you know, you gotta play football out there, and when there's an interception, you gotta go plaster the quarterback, and I'm just thinking, dude, if it wasn't for a helmet to helmet hit, you'd still be in the NFL now. I mean, you, broke your neck doing a yeah. hit like that and, and I just I mean maybe that's just one of those things that we've talked about quite often is that 
that things just going to have to take time before those mentalities go away. But um, yeah, definitely uh, surprised to see Troy Aikman respond that way. Yeah, it's it's really ridiculous to me for those guys, especially the ones who played so recently, and they've seen guys like you know Junior Seau and Dave Duerson, you know, commit suicide likely from from brain trauma. Mm-hmm. So these guys who are so incensed about this will shut their mouth for about two months after something like this happens. And all of a sudden, after the kind of the dust settles, they'll start complaining about it again. Mm-hmm. It, it's like we've seen time and time again. Treitman, example number one. All these guys that have had to leave because of concussions and are now suffering after they've left the game with uh, you know mental illnesses and stuff. And yet these guys are still complaining about something that is a clear focus. It's going to happen. Get over it. It has to be done for the game to stay where it's at because we can't have more stretches like we saw this last summer with all those tragedies hit all at once. Mm-hmm. And I, it kind of always makes me a little mad when I hear a guy like that uh, you know, rip on the calls and stuff. When it, it, It's a dirty play that doesn't need to happen, especially in the Aaron Murray's case. Like, There's no reason you have to destroy the quarterback. I mean, <laughs> yeah. if he's out of the play, he's not going to make the tackle most likely. I mean, shove him to the ground, fall on him, lay on him, but you don't need to launch your helmet into his helmet. I mean, there's easier ways to take down a little quarterback than you know give him, giving him a concussion. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah, it is kind of weird that you just hear these guys continually – kind of get on the case of that and I don't think it changes the game I know you said especially with with things like you know injuries and everybody wants to do it for a moral reason just to not have so many injuries and so these people can have good lives after their playing careers but from an economic standpoint I don't want to see Graham Harrell lead the Packers through the playoffs and even for other teams like I don't I don't want to see some backup players and all this kind of stuff and uh, I think it was Dan Deardorff or something said it on one of the games I was watching this year that uh, he said the the main reason we got to protect these quarterbacks is it's just more fun when they're in there. <laughs> Nobody wants to watch the backups. This game suffers with bad quarterback play. Right. So yeah, I, I mean, there's no really negative to changing the rules. It it really doesn't change the game much. I know there's going to be some penalties that if it's your team, you're going to be mad about. But really, like you said, keeping the quarterbacks in the game, helping their you know their livelihoods after they leave the game and. Mm-hmm. To me, there's really no negatives to, to doing what they've done, and I know a lot of purists don't like it, but it has to be done, and I'm glad they're doing it, and I feel like the people who don't like it kind of just need to get over it because it's obviously happening, and the changes are probably going to get even more um, substantial as, as we keep going here. So mm-hmm. I, I like the new rules, and I don't complain about them at all, and especially with the receiver hits across the middle, I feel like the refs maybe don't call that very well sometimes mm-hmm. it's it's a little harder i think a little more of a judgment call when it's so fast but i i feel like that's a good rule too and i, I think they have to do things like this like i said mm-hmm. after that stretch we had last summer i think it kind of opened my eyes and we talked about it a lot on the show that mm-hmm. uh, they needed to make significant changes and i feel like they're doing a pretty good job yeah i agree and whenever i think of these old timers that are always not even old timers david pollock's like four years older than i am yeah. but like uh, whenever I think of these guys complaining about it, I remember a discussion we had when we were just sitting around talking about old football, and I had read about the the flying V formation and that people were dying from it in the early yeah. 1900s, and and you remarked as kind of a joking manner that it's just not football without the V, and I always <laughs> think of that. It just keeps going on forever. Somebody's always yeah. going to think that the game they played is being lost for some weaker version that isn't as dangerous, and I say uh, let's make it as least dangerous as possible while still resembling the game we like to watch. Absolutely. All right, the other big thing that we got to talk about in this game, obviously, is that 
punt fake that, or the punt return fake, I guess, that Randall Cobb had thrown. I don't even remember the name of the guy who he threw it to. So. Ross? I, I had never yeah. heard of the guy. I had never heard of him either. His last name was Ross. That's all I remember. 11-point lead with eight minutes to go in your own territory, and you play that. And I guess what I've heard after the game is that they were giving the look for it. And I think this and also the next drive, when they'd been rushing for more than three yards a carry, on third and three they decide to do our old favorite pass it incomplete down the right sidelines, it just seems, and maybe you could just talk about the one play or you can open it up more, but for me, I feel like these two plays, and especially the punt fake, shows that he's a great, great coach, but Mike McCarthy's unwillingness to ever play situational football really, really irritates me in a lot of cases, and yesterday was case number one. They gave every chance they could to the Bears to take the division away from them, when in honesty, they probably should have won that game by at least twice as much as they won it by. Yeah, and I'm not quite as upset about the punt return call as I think most people. Obviously, it was a bad call, and I think you got to, like you said, play situational football and and play towards what the game is looking like. I mean, their offense hadn't done anything all day. Mm-hmm. I can see maybe if you're up 8 and or whatever they were at the time, 11 or something like that. 11. Yeah, they were up 11 at the time. Maybe if you're in kind of a shootout, it's a good thing to do, especially if you think the look is there for it. I mean, if it was a better throw and a catch, it maybe it works. You never know. But when the Bears' offense hadn't done anything all day, other than when you give them points, basically, mm-hmm. um, I think you can't do that. You have to punt it away. And I, you know, I'm not a coach or anything, but and I was even forgiving on the last bad call that McCarthy had. Uh, I don't even remember what we were talking about with, with what that was. It was another risky call that didn't pay off. Yeah. But and I had given him the benefit of the doubt on on whatever that call. I forget what it was, but it was another risky special teams call. And I kind of said, okay, it had worked earlier this year. We had a lot of really nice ones like the Crabtree play. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here because it seems like he knows what he's doing. But then there's another one bad bad one here today, and he kind of got to. Imagine with his mindset that we're going to see another one come playoff time that you would hope works out and doesn't cost us big again. Um, It's starting to scare me a little bit now that they're not working as much. I think that he needs to kind of tone it down a little bit, especially with us not putting up, you know, the 40 points a game that we have been in the past. That, Mm -hmm. all right, let's maybe tone it down on the special teams trickery. And as far as that third down and three and the pass goes, I, I, I agree with you too. I think that you have to run it with the way that you were running it. You have to run out the clock. Mm-hmm. I, I know he's just got so much confidence in Aaron Rodgers, but I, I think you're right. I, maybe not quite to the uh, the passion that a lot of Packer fans have today and Monday morning quarterbacks, but I, I feel like he does kind of have to play a little bit more situational and play a little smarter in, in downs and distances like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, it just is a frustrating thing because he does so many things well, and obviously they, they were in a position to – to to win obviously they did win but it just I mean we talked about it with that Lions game when on third and one they threw the game winning touchdown from like 30 yards out and it was a good it worked in that case but statistically over the last two or three years it's not worked out for them at all so I I it's hard to tell somebody to change the way especially being me I mean I'm not saying it but I'm just like questioning it is going to work 99% of the time the way he coaches the team, but the problem is when you have a team like this who isn't the dominant team maybe they were in, in 2011 or even in 2010, that you these kind of calls are going to kill you if you're playing against the Giants or if you're playing against the 49ers or New England or somebody like that. I mean, you can get away with it against a sloppy Bears team, but you're not going to get away with it in the playoffs potentially, and that's just kind of the thing that has me concerned. Yep, I couldn't agree more. 
And I guess the other thing that's a questionable decision from Mike McCarthy, and I don't know if there's any been new developments this afternoon, but in his press conference yesterday, he didn't want to talk about the future of Mason Crosby as a Packer, uh, leading a lot of people to conclude that his future is with the Green Bay Packers as far as the rest of the season is concerned. And another two misses, and I actually looked at his stats, and he's one of eight from over 50, so he's got... I think now he has got 12 misses, and so he seven of those 12 are from over 50 yards. But still, it's getting to the point where he's below 60%, which is getting into, like, straight-on linebacker kickers from the 50s territory. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, They were so bad, too. Yeah. The two misses were just terrible. Mm-hmm. And I think I said it, like, three or four weeks ago they needed to get rid of him. And I think it's extremely important now that you bring somebody else in. There's only two weeks left in the regular season. You cannot bank on this guy getting out of this now mm-hmm. with only two weeks left. We're basically running, you know, like a high school type situation when we get to fourth downs because you know you don't have a kicker that can kick over 35 yards. Yeah. You can't do that as an NFL team. Mm-hmm. You know, Alindo Mari was available. He up, he's gone. Ryan Longwell is better than Mason Crosby is right now. I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. He's a mass mentally. You can't go into the playoffs not being able to kick a field goal. Yeah. I mean, playoff games come down to field goals. Maybe we don't need him for the next two weeks. Maybe we can just keep going for it on fourth down, but you can't do that in the playoffs. And I think this is the time we absolutely have to get somebody in, working a couple weeks here before the playoffs, and get them kind of in stride so that when the playoffs roll around, you actually have somebody who's competent. Mm -hmm. 60% is embarrassing. Yeah, it is, and he's not even there after yesterday's game. He's like at 58-something, but... Yeah, and people say, oh, you're not going to find somebody better off the street. And like you mentioned, Olendo Mari is a great example of that. He came right in, and supposedly Soldier Field's supposed to be this very difficult place to kick, and he did it just fine. You know, and he played in Miami most of the time in a stadium that's pretty easy to kick in. And so I, I don't know. I mean, even is Billy Cundiff still out there? Or, or? <laughs> Give me Dave Rayner if he's out there. <laughs> yeah. There's nobody available right now who's in the kind of mental shape that Crosby is in. He's just destroyed. And it, as soon as he missed that first one yesterday, you saw him on the sidelines. His face was red, and he looked like he was pouting again. I was like, oh, no, because it seemed like he kind of worked out of that after last week. Mm-hmm. And even after the first kick, but as soon as he missed one, he, like, reverted back to this, like, almost childlike, like, pouting and frustration. And it seems like once he gets in that mode, he's useless. Mm-hmm. So he's like the Jay Cutler of kickers, except not quite at the douche? Yeah, he's not punching his, like, offensive line or anything, <laughs> but he, he's he's just as much of a, even probably sulker. more of, like, sulker and just absolutely gl- go that he misses one and he's just absolutely checked out. Yeah, and and we can't have that. And I had heard somebody mention on the radio that perhaps they're keeping him around because his kicking percentage at Lambeau is actually pretty good. But, you know, if you're the three seed, you're not going to kick a lot at Lambeau in the Super Bowl run, so... Yeah, uh, he just has to go. There's no way you can have somebody worse. I mean, 58 percent. I don't care if you struggle at Lambeau Field, you can get 75 percent, can't you? Right. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't understand what Mike McCarthy's doing. I know we've mentioned this in the past, where sometimes it feels like he manages this team like a baseball team, mm-hmm. and that's definitely what he's doing right here. But 
Yeah, this uh, is just too mu- too long of a slump. I mean, yeah. let him kick it all regular season. But like I said, we have two more weeks to go. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish there was a way we could keep him around maybe for next year, which probably isn't likely if we get rid of him. But you're going a playoff run, and you have a good chance to win a Super Bowl this year. You can't can't keep trying to fight through that like they're doing right now. It's just not reasonable. I'm telling you, they have to have him have a, like a full physical dermatologist, whatever. Find something. Yeah. Oh, he's got ringworm. Yeah, he's got a on his back that's really uncomfortable when he puts his shoulder pads on. <laughs> he better go on IR, you know, so we can keep him for next year. Yeah, so maybe that's an option. But I don't know. They're playing with fire here with Mason Crosby, that's for sure. All right, so that kind of concludes our Packer talk here. The Green Bay Packers once again are your 2012 NFC North Division champions. They beat the Chicago Bears 21-13 down in Soldier Field. And the other big thing I wanted to talk about from that game is not Packers-related. It's Bears-related. And I know a lot of people followed the rhetoric that was exchanged between the two teams all of last week and just some of the framing that a lot of those words were in where it made you think that everything that this Lovey Smith era was all about was on the line on Sunday and the Bears lost. And... I guess, Matt, the question is, what is the future of the Bears as we know them today, now having lost to the Packers a sixth straight time and uh, allowing the Packers to win the division right at Soldier Field? I think you're right. I think this game meant everything to them, and you could kind of tell. I don't know if you saw Brandon Marshall's post-game press conference. Yeah, he broke down, didn't he? Yeah, he, he had to leave because in his eye, he was wiping his eyes, and he couldn't keep it together. And I think this is their big game. This was their Super Bowl. They've lost to us five straight times, which has got to be extremely frustrating. I feel like if they can win the next couple of games here and, and make the playoffs, I feel we're probably going to see pretty much the same team next year. Maybe, obviously, if they can find a little help on the offensive line because they're just atrocious there. Mm-hmm. But if they somehow miss the playoffs, Lovey Smith is gone. I can almost guarantee that. If they somehow mm-hmm. down the stretch here lose, what would it end up being? Six out of seven if they lose out? Yeah, they would start um, seven and one, so... Yeah, so I I think he's definitely gone if they miss the playoffs. And, you know, their number one goal coming in when he came here, and he said it, was to beat us. And for the last few years, he can't do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that if you're going to, you know, keep losing to us consistently and underachieving, this defense is getting towards its, you know, its window is closing. I mean, Erlacher's might be done after this year. Briggs and Tillman are both still very good, but getting older. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pepper's the same. He's still really good, but he's getting a little up there in age, too. So all their best players, the window's yeah, kind of closing. Yeah, he's only a year younger than er- or two years younger than Erlacher, isn't he? Is he? Well, yeah. It, I guess I, I still remember him getting drafted out of North Carolina. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but yeah, yeah he's probably in his 30s now, too. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they they have to make a change if they don't make the playoffs, and I feel like they will. But I think if they can win in here and get in the playoffs, I, I feel like things are pretty much going to stay the same, which might be a good thing for the Packers <laughs> for the next couple of years, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I almost think he's got to go, even if they, I mean, unless they do some kind of playoff run, but if they go in the first game and get whooped by us, or, I mean, if they got if they lost to us in the first round of the playoffs, that would be obviously done deal. But yeah. if they lost to whoever would be the, the four seed, would that be the, well, the East champ, yeah, one of those three teams? So I think it just, you can't win anything if you're getting thoroughly dominated by someone within your own division. It's, it's almost impossible to, to accomplish anything if you can't, if you, you have two losses starting within the division every single year. And that's what they've had for a while here. And, and it just feels like maybe, I don't think he's a bad coach. I think honestly the Bears fans are much more uh, hard on him than he really deserves. 
I mean, he's taken a, a, a team that was pretty darn lousy for most of our lives and turned them into a pretty consistent playoff contender and had a right. run of, you know, it was a Super Bowl contender for a couple of years there. And so I think that maybe he will coach somewhere else, but I just think this team needs a shakeup. They've really had this core for, gosh, I mean, if you consider Erlacher and Tillman and, and some of those guys, Briggs, I mean, those that was the core of the team in 2005. And, I mean, Erlacher was on that team that went to the playoffs in 01. You know, it's just kind of maybe they just need to switch things up and, and do something. I hope they don't because I like beating the Bears every year. But uh, I, I don't understand how, how he sticks around. And it just uh, – I think everything was on the line for this team. And they even made it so to remind themselves how big of a game this was. And then you still couldn't get it done. Uh, I think that if I'm the Chicago Bears, I would make the change. And if I'm a, a Packer fan, I kind of hope they don't. <laughs> Real quick, Matt, I guess for a, I, I just thought of it, kind of a crossfire segment here that I thought of today when I was thinking about this Lovey Smith deal. And uh, as I mentioned on the show, I'm a collector of playoff games. And, and recently I've been just kind of checking out uh, bits and pieces of some of the playoff games from the late 90s and early 2000s. And I just forgot how good like Randy Moss was and how how dominant the Vikings were at times and I guess real quick since Lovey's probably finishing up here as far as for division opponents what will be a bigger shock that they didn't win a championship will it be Lovey's Bears or Dennis Green's Vikings I would probably say Denny Green's Vikings for sure I mean even the Bears did make it to the Super Bowl which is something the Vikings can't say but I just never felt like they were that great of a team, really. And I, when they made it that year in '05, it was kind of like, really, they're they're in the Super Bowl, and <laughs> they were so bad offensively. Their defense has always been good, but I just feel like they haven't had enough on an offense or mm-hmm. or all around talent to really make me feel too threatened. And when we played them in the NFC Championship game two years ago, I, I even still I didn't really feel like they were a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Yeah, I thought we were going to lose the, to them. We, I thought that the fluky stuff that happens when we play the Bears was was going to beat us, not that they were a better team than we were. Right, and the Vikings were clearly the best team in the league there, arguably, for a couple of years mm-hmm. uh, when Moss was catching balls. So, I, I mean, that 98 Vikings team was obviously incredible, and mm-hmm. they were really good for a few years after that. And even a couple of years with Culpepper at the helm, they were pretty good. So I would definitely mm-hmm. say the Vikings team. I, I'm a little more surprised. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I just wanted to see what your opinion was on that. Randy Moss was unbelievable. I don't know how they, 98, 99, 2000, I don't know how they didn't win a championship in one of those years. I mean, especially when you look who beat them out for it. Like, the Rams, I know the Rams were good, but they had such a lousy schedule. And then 2000, like, I know Culpepper was young, but gosh, <laughs> the, all those playoff teams are just so, like, I don't know. They just never seem all that great, and you just wonder with with Dennis Green and with Randy Moss how they didn't win one of those three years when the league was kind of down as a whole, and you were kind of in that transition phase where your Packers and Cowboys and 49ers weren't what they used to be, and there was kind of an opportunity to grab the brass ring, and you kind of wonder if... uh, I'm kind of surprised, even in hindsight, that it wasn't them, and I remember being relieved every year when they'd find a way to lose in the playoffs, (laughs) because... But, uh, yeah, just uh, interesting. So, Lovey Smith, I guess, more than likely will put him on the list of another one of the tough division opponents that, partially because of the Packers, were not able to accomplish the, the ultimate goal of winning a Super Bowl. All right, hey, I got a question for you, too, kind of crossfire style here. I was I was sort of thinking about this earlier today, now okay. that we're talking Packers, Bears, Vikings. Um, I was kind of running through the playoff scenarios in my head and looking at where it was at right now. 
So picture, we're going into week 17 here. The Packers have, let's say, the three seed locked up pretty much. They can't get San Francisco for the two seed. Mm-hmm. Say maybe they lose next week or something, the Packers do. Yep. Um, so they have the three seed locked up. Minnesota and New York is tied for the number six seed in the, in the playoffs. Are we cheering for Minnesota to beat the Packers in week 17? <laughs> oh, man, that's a good question. I mean, if we can't move at all, wouldn't we cheer for the Vikings to play them in the playoffs in the first round rather than have to play New York? In Lambeau? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one because I guess I don't know what you do if you're Mike McCarthy because the Vikings obviously are going to be trying regardless of their playoff hopes on that week because likely Adrian Peterson will have an opportunity to break the record for the most (laughs) rushing yards. So you don't really want to get into a dogfight with Minnesota when they're trying to break a record and and risk some of your best players. But you also don't want to let them into the playoffs because you send the message that, you know, you don't fear them the way you fear the other team. Um, the only other scenario I can remember is I believe in 05, the Patriots rested their guys to allow themselves to fall to the four seed so they could play Jacksonville instead of Pittsburgh. And Jacksonville kind of used that as their bulletin board material and then went to Foxborough and lost by 25. Yeah. But, but I guess I, that's a really good question. I would definitely play the Minnesota Vikings over the Giants. It's not even close. And and maybe you say, let them have that bravado. you still got Christian Ponder at quarterback. Come to Lambeau right. next week. Yeah, and I, I you can't really change who you're playing. You have to play everybody. Because mm-hmm. like you said, you can't just purposely throw the game, I don't think. But I think you can call a pretty conservative game. Um, maybe put Clay in a little more situationally. Make sure Rodgers is well protected at all times. Maybe just play really conservative football. Get out of there with hopefully without any injuries, and then hope hope that maybe New York somehow loses it. But yeah, it's tough. You can't necessarily throw the game, but it, it's it's hard to really see how McCarthy would coach that because you know that he's not really going to toss a game and let the Vikings win. But mm-hmm. obviously, we would much rather play them than New York. So it, it's going to be kind of interesting. But hopefully, we don't run into that situation because. Uh, top San Francisco and get the two seed. Mm-hmm. So ho- hopefully it's not something we run into. And I, as long as we don't lose this week, we should be still in the running for that come week 17. Yeah, the big thing too that could happen next week that is going to make the NFL want to rip its hair out is that Seattle, in all likelihood, or not not in all likelihood, but very likely could beat San Francisco next week, and then they would control their own destiny for the NFC West. Uh, in the final week of the season. And then if the Packers would lose to the Minnesota Vikings and Seattle wins out, then Green Bay will be the three, Seattle will be the two, and if Green Bay wins their first playoff game, they will have to play at Seattle in the second round of the playoffs instead of the other way around because of the blown call in week three. Right. And uh, we were talking yesterday that, or you and I weren't, but but some people I was talking with were saying that if that happens and the Packers were able to beat Seattle in there, that would be played up in the Packers' yearbooks, and if they went on to win the Super Bowl, it would be a huge talking point in the America's Game special. But if Seattle beat the Packers uh, because of that in Seattle, I have a feeling that that would get brushed out of the rug pretty good, especially if you're looking for a dark horse team that are going to be the Giants or the Packers or the 05 Steelers this year, Seattle's your team right now, I would think. Yeah, Um, they look pretty darn impressive. Yeah, so I, I would be curious to see how they play that up. Uh, in the history books, if one of those teams were to uh, benefit from, or if Seattle was able to win the Super Bowl on a little bit of a benefit from having won a game, they probably shouldn't have. 
So that's kind of our talk about the NFL and other things going on. And we did have a question posed to us on our Facebook page uh, that we can address before we kind of wrap up a shorter show today. Uh, Matt, do you want to read that real quick? Sure. So uh, Brian Dinsey, one of our followers, had just kind of asked us what our, our basic thoughts were on some things that have been getting tossed around lately, whether it's the 18-game schedule or adding another team or two into each conference for the postseason. So I don't, I don't know if maybe you want to start here. I, th- I think, first of all, with the 18-game season, I feel like at this point that's been pretty much ruled out. Mm-hmm. I think there was such a backlash for that that it, that's not going to ha- happen. But I feel like what they're doing with the playoffs, adding an extra couple teams to that, kind of does a lot of the same things that that did. But, you know, I'll, what, do you, what do you think about adding the extra playoff? I think we maybe don't have to cover the extra, eight, mm-hmm. or the extra two games in the regular season too much here, but uh, what do you think about what they're planning on doing with adding at least one team to each conference. I absolutely hate it. Yeah, me too. Because we're already getting nine and seven teams in the Super Bowl, and we're getting, it's basically such an even playing field now, and I don't want to be one of those old curmudgeons that's like the integrity of the Super Bowl and all that kind of crap, but I am, and I have been one of those people for a long time. <laughs> and we have we've had what? Two six seeds win the Super Bowl in the last seven right. years. We've had two nine and seven teams play in the last four Super Bowls. If you have a seventh seed, you are going to, on probably once every five years, get a team that is eight and eight or seven and nine in the playoffs. Uh, at least you probably have an eight and eight team every three years, and probably a seven and nine team every five to seven years. Right. And every 10 to 15 years, you might even get a 6-10 and 10 team in there. Who wants that? Who wants to have a Super Bowl champion, like they said with Seattle, that if Seattle would have won the Super Bowl, um, in uh, they would have been, what, 11-9 and 9 or something? So you could have a 6-10 and 10 team or, God forbid, like a 5-11 and 11 team in a really bad conference or, or something make the playoffs, and they'd win a Super Bowl as like a 500 team. Yeah. And that's including their playoff wins. I just think it's a horrible idea. I understand what they're trying to do, but I don't think it adds anything to the game. Uh, they're always worried about the integrity of the last two or three weeks of the season. That's why they have more division games towards the end of the year, so you can't clinch your division as soon. I don't think this is going to help that at all. I, the fight for the sixth seed is usually all we have in a lot of seasons in right. Week 17. So. I really, really hope they don't do this. I'm almost expecting they will. They've, they've been throwing it around for over... Uh, I think the first I heard about this was like in 2003. So they've been throwing it around for a long, long time. But uh, if they asked me to vote on it, I would say, hell no! Yeah, I, I completely agree with you on this, too. And I feel like there's so many more negatives than there are positives to this. So I guess positives, one more team maybe has Pope going down the stretch. One more team gets into the postseason, so they get to host it, you know, play in an extra playoff game. So, mm-hmm. And I've heard ESPN push this like crazy lately. That's because they and, want a game, because they'll right, probably exactly. get it as their contract. I have a feeling they told everybody who works there, make sure you push this, because it seems like every other thing like this that they've um, the NFL has tried to sell, you know, the commentators will be honest about it and say, you know, I don't really like that, but they're so openly for this that I kind of feel like ESPN's like, all right, guys, we need this. Mm-hmm. Be nice, some, some nice extra money, let's go for it. Yeah. But like you said, it's the players already seem watered down with 16 in a conference somehow, mm-hmm. just because there's some bad teams that get in. So if you had... Even if it's just one more team, you do even more to that extent. And 
I know it's not the biggest deal. I know you get one more mediocre team in there. Okay, you get an extra playoff game to watch. That's at least good, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like this is one of those things that you get like an instant influx of maybe a little extra cash for the league, which is obviously the the force behind this. Mm-hmm. And then down the road, it, it's going to hurt. I feel like maybe just this one vision isn't you know like going to threaten the NFL. But if you keep doing things like this, all of a sudden your regular season games don't mean as much. And people lose interest. I mean, when's the last time that you, you know, just sat down and watched a full MLB or NBA regular oh, season yeah. game with no rooting interest, just you know, because it meant something. They they hardly ever mean anything. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I know that the NFL obviously it's different because there's only 16 games right now in an NFL season as opposed to 162. But still, if you start watering down um, these games in the regular season and make them mean even less than they do, when I know you especially already feel like they don't mean that much, mm-hmm. then you know, it really hurts the product a little bit. So I think they need to be careful with trying to grow the brand like they're doing it because I feel like these are the kinds of things, like I said, not one in particular, but multiple decisions like this that can really down the road kind of affect the, the brand and the product. Yeah, and I think you, you bring up some great points, and I think the NFL doesn't think this could happen, and maybe I'm wrong, but there's always a risk of oversaturating your audience with your, pro- oh, yeah. or with your product. And I love football, but are you thinking about that wild card round? Game at noon, game at 3.30, game at 7. Next day, game at noon, game at 3.30, game at 7. By that yeah. second or third game on Sunday, I might just want to watch a movie. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of football. Um, even, already even the last Thursday. Night, I mean, I, I usually watch all day through for football, but even last night, that was a huge game. But by that time in the game, I was already – or that time in the day, I was already like – I don't even really want to watch this game that much anymore. I just mm-hmm. You're talking San so Francisco much. and the Pats? Yeah, I, I I watched Thursday night's game, and I watched the first two games on Sunday, and by that time I was kind of like, all right, I can do it without maybe football for tonight, <laughs> I guess. it's There's just so much of it already, mm-hmm. and not that I'm complaining. I love watching all the games, but it, like you said, to have two full days of, of football by the time the, the end of it rolls around, you're going to be kind of mm-hmm. full of football, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, just look at college. I don't know about you, but I'm always geared up uh, to get up at – early and watch some of game day and then start watching football at 11 and then but then they have games kicking off at like 8 30 and 9 and i mean by once i'm done watching that 2 30 time slot maybe if there's a good game i'll watch it at night but even if there's a big game at night that seven o'clock abc game you're just sitting there you're just like man and then i'm gonna watch two three games tomorrow i'm like i i gotta do something else or i'm gonna go nuts (laughs) so uh, don't add a seventh team NFL, please. I'm going to put that uh, on my Christmas list to, to the NFL. Yeah, that would, that would be great, and especially not an eighth team NHL or NBA oh, style. Because I mean, you see teams obviously getting with under 500 records, and you would definitely see that in the NFL if they had eight in each conference. You would think for sure. And yeah, probably I, pretty consistently having seven and nine teams in. Yeah, I can't wait for that. You know, you have your your lineage of Bradshaw's Steelers and Montana's Niners, and then everybody's going to say, yeah, they weren't, those teams were great, but what about the 6-10 and 10, 2014 Cleveland Browns that won the Super Bowl? And yeah. that was exciting. Like, yeah, so. Yeah, it's not like great teams are missing the playoffs at this point. It's, no. It's mediocre teams that are, are even getting in right now and then or just barely missing the playoffs. You're not missing out on great teams not getting in because there's not a seventh team. Mm-hmm. You don't need it, and I hope they don't do it. Yeah, I agree completely. So keep it at six, and let's just try to find another way to get your product out to the people. 
All right, so that about wraps it up for this edition of Green and Gold Forever. I want to thank everybody for joining us and check back to the website from time to time. Uh, we're not sure exactly what's going to happen for next week. Obviously, uh, Monday is Christmas Eve, so I don't know what's going to be happening with the show uh, next week. But uh, check back. We'll have something going on probably that week of Christmas. So, And if you check on the site uh, later in this week, we're actually going to have a real fun blog post in the holiday spirit. Uh, Matt and Nye's NFL Christmas Lists. Uh, we'll each have five things that we would ask for the NFL to, to have happen for Christmas. And uh, obviously, may, I don't think it's going to make my list, but if I had a sixth one, obviously it would be no seventh playoff team. Yep. But Okay, uh, thanks everybody for listening today. Uh, the Packers are the NFC North Division champs, so have a great week. Celebrate a little bit. And in case we don't talk to you before the holiday, I uh, hope everybody has a very safe and happy holiday season as well. So uh, take care, and we'll see you down the road.